Let's play architects. Do you know how to play architects? You mean like constructionals? Uh, yeah, construction architects. Yeah, okay. We got our helmets on. Uh, hard hats. <laughs> yeah, hard hats. Let's build uh, houses for our families. But you build one, and I'll build another one, but only different. Then we'll have two. Cool. Well, mine's going to have two, three, four, five big screen TVs and a swimming pool inside of it. Wow, my house is going to have a slide into the stairs with 10 TVs with HDD TV and 5D, but you don't need glasses to see it. Well, it's important when you're doing architects to build a strong foundation. What's that? Uh, that's like the bottom that you build everything else up on. Oh, well, my foundation is going to be made out of sand because it's just a house at the beach where we can party and swim in the ocean. But there are no sharks at my house because we put them all in cages like a shark week. Except the sharks are in the cages, not the divers. Oh, it sounds... Well, my foundation is going to be on rocks because rocks are strong. And if there's like a thunderstorm or a hurricane, then the rock will still be strong and my house won't fall apart. Well, there are no hurricanes or thunderstorms in my house. There never will be. Just 20 HDD TVs and candy. That's all that's in the refrigerator in my house is candy, Mountain Dew, and ice cream. Well, there might be thunderstorms or hurricanes and then your house will fall apart. Nah. Kids, it's starting to rain. Come on inside. Well, let's go. Okay, we'll check on our houses after it stops raining. Okay. Maybe me, but I think those two are a little old to be playing constructional architects. I mean, you've heard of a game called Minecraft. All right. I got some enthusiastic supporters in the back row. I see that hand, Mr. Baggett. All right. We got some Minecraft people here. We love Minecraft. Wow. That's, that's the best reaction I've gotten of anything I've ever preached in this church. All right. Minecraft is a game. How many of you have no idea what Minecraft is? Yeah, that's the biggest reaction I've known. Minecraft's a game that is very simple. It's, uh, for those of you that are video game, it's an 8-bit style, which means it looks like a game that was made in the 80s. Uh, it, it is a sandbox format, which means you can do whatever you want to do in building there. And it has exploded in popularity. It first came out on PC computers, and then it went to the Xbox, and now it's gone to the phones, and around... 20 million people are playing Minecraft, right? And they make these unbelievable things in there. It, all it is is building, all right? I mean, they, they have been, uh, I, I looked online this week, people have built cities with Minecraft uh, on the computer. They, they've recreated all the famous monuments you can imagine. Someone has attempted to redo the globe and the way the earth looks exactly in Minecraft. They, they've got the Taj Mahal. They've got Buckingham Palace. They've even done some things from places that are fictitious. And so there's uh, Hogwarts has been built in Minecraft. Um, they've built um, Helm's Deep from the Lord of the Rings. I mean, they've built all this stuff and it is amazing what people can do. But there are two modes of Minecraft, right? Those of you that Minecraft, right? What's the one where you can do anything and no consequences? What's that? 
Creative mode, all right? What's the other mode? Survival. At survival mode, and survival mode, the, you build, but when you're building, it's going to turn night at some point, right? And when it turns night, you have to defend yourself from the creepers, right? Right? Apparently, I need to move on because I'm getting... No. All right, so... I've lost half of you. In the other half, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. All right. Including my own son. All right. So here's why I think Minecraft appeals to so many people. It's because within us, we have this desire, we have this want to build and create and develop. And even though it's on a video game, it gives people the ability to kind of just be free and creating and developing things. What's interesting is, in Scripture, the Bible a couple of times refers to us and the lives that we lead trying to build our own house, our own structure. And it talks about it in a way that makes it a universal understanding that all of us are trying to do basically the same thing. Now, our little amateur constructional architects, do you recognize at least the first part of that story from anywhere in Scripture? Any of you? Where was it? Good. Hey, nobody, nobody, everybody knows Minecraft, no? Where's this, all right? Where is it? It's in the Bible. Hey, we got, let's pinpoint. All right, let's, let's do Old Testament or New Testament. Anybody got an idea? New Testament. We know that because who taught it? Jesus, right? So you know where in the New Testament? It's in the book of Matthew, right? Matthew chapter 7. That'd be a good place to turn right now. Matthew chapter 7. All right? Matthew chapter 7. Now, we're going to keep talking this way. All right, so what is Matthew 5 through 7? Anybody know what that whole thing is called? Sermon on the Mount. And Miss Joan got that right. Why don't we call it the Sermon on the Mount? Because it's a sermon that was preached on a mount, right? Not like like a mount, like you mount something on like a mountain, all right? So preach this sermon. Jesus preaches for three chapters in Scripture. He preaches this amazing message. And really this story, the parable that we're going to talk about a little bit today, is the closing of this sermon. It is the most well-known, the most well-researched, the most impactful sermon that perhaps has ever been preached. Jesus is the longest we have of Him preaching, and He covers all kinds of subjects. And as He gets to the end of it, He's going to talk about something that is important for us to understand. Now, we're in the midst of a series of sermons where we're talking about the church, and what is it, and who is it for, and what does it do? We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that the church, according to Jesus and according to the New Testament, is a group of people called out of society with a specific purpose of telling others about Jesus. That's what the church is. And that the church is for anybody that is genuinely seeking the Lord. Now last week we talked about the first thing that the church does or should do, and that is about glorifying God. It's about giving praise and honor to Him, and specifically last week, in worship and what we do here on Sunday mornings. 
And we talked about it in light of what our purpose here as a church. And I want to look back over that. This is our purpose as a church. And it is that we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The whole reason that we exist is to glorify God. And the way that we do that primarily is by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you where we're going today. Because today we're going to talk about what I think the second kind of point of what the church ought to be doing. And that is that the church ought to be taking people deep in their relationship with the Lord. We ought to be creating passionately devoted followers of Jesus. Now, um, there's a word that the church has used for centuries for that. And it's the word disciple. I intentionally left it out of that purpose statement because that word has come to mean what it didn't always necessarily mean and we really don't understand what it means and so it's just better not to use it because what does it mean to be a disciple well i put on facebook today had several comments because this is where we're getting we're going to get at the end of the message today i'm going to take you to this point we're going to get discipleship defined in one word not a complicated formula not a complicated um a set of words, one word, we're going to define what it means to be a passionately devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus starts this way with this parable. He says, first of all, there was a man, and everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, well, like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. Verse 25. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet, it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. He goes on to say this, But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man. By the way, just so you kind of, this is for you to know, the word foolish there, the actual word ought to be translated probably moron, right? It's actually, the word itself is moro, all right? And we get the word moron for it, okay? So Jesus did call people morons, and it's these people. Those that hear the words don't act on them are like morons who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And its collapse was great. The word there is mega. Like huge. There's like a, it's like the, the word mega there is like the difference between a um, rec league football game on Saturday morning and what's going to happen this afternoon. Okay? So the crash there is like the Super Bowl. The, the normal crash would just be a small thing. This is a mega one. So here's the story. Two men. One takes a house, builds it, puts it on the rock, which, by the way, would have been more expensive, would have taken more time, would have caused more problems in the beginning. Builds a foundation on the rock, builds a house. The other man builds his on the sand. The rain comes, the wind comes, and everything is destroyed for the sand person, and everything is the same for the rock. Now, here's some things I want us to talk about. We're going to do this quickly, but I want you to listen because it's important. There were some things that these guys had in common, okay? Okay? 
And the first thing these guys had in common is they all, they both started with the same ideal, the same vision. I mean, nobody starts their life and thinks, man, I don't want to matter at all, right? Jesus here isn't talking about houses so much as he's talking about our lives. And nobody says, I want to be inconsequential, indifferent. I don't want to make a difference. I don't want anything to change. I just want to be normal always and forever. I saw the movie um, Lincoln this weekend. Anybody seen Lincoln? All right. Saw the movie Lincoln this weekend. Susan and I, I know there are some people out there that once the Academy Award nominations get announced, they try to see every movie that has been nominated for Best Picture. Susan and I attempt to see one. And we sometimes don't make that. But we did this year. We're excited with ourselves. We made our goal. Last year we did too. It's called Toy Story 3 with the kids. But um, So we made it. We went to see Lincoln. And there's this interesting line in Lincoln because one of the things that I loved about the movie... Um, was the relationship between Abraham Lincoln and his oldest son. By the way, just a little fact you may not have known, Abraham Lincoln's oldest son was the only son that outlived their mom. He had four sons. Three of them died by the time they were 18. One of them lived to end up being Secretary of War. All right? But this oldest son and Abraham Lincoln are having a conversation, and the son wants to join the army and Lincoln is like, no, you can't join the army because I cannot have you killed. We've already lost, at that point, they lost, they lost two sons. We can't lose another one. And the oldest son looks at him and he says this. And I thought it was interesting. He said, Dad, I will never be you, but I want to be somebody. And I thought, there is that longing in all of us, right? Right? You're just looking at me, right? I mean, you want to do something. You want to be important. And everybody has that kind of vision. I was standing at the sink the other day, and today is my 37th birthday. Woo-hoo, that's right. Everybody clap for me not dying this year. Here we go. All right. So, I'm standing there. It's my 37th birthday. It's close. You know, it's close. It's like Friday, and um, at our house, I don't know if this happens at your house, but we fill the dishwasher, and we start the dishwasher, and somehow there are magically dishes in the sink minutes after the dishwasher has started, all right? They just magically appeared. So I'm rinsing out something, and I'm staring there, and I just have one of those kind of life moments when I think to myself, I do not feel 37 years old. And I do not look 37 years old. Some of you go, you're right. You're like 45, 50, somewhere around there. Eli, the other day, my son, I don't know where he's learning this, he just walked up to his mom and said, Mom, I don't think you look any older than 28. And I said, well, what about me? He said, 50. <laughs> he didn't know a birthday present for him got taken back that day. No. Um, but it's one of those moments you kind of evaluate yourself, right? I mean, what have I done? What am I doing? What do I have left? I mean, I am technically close to that magical number that tells you you're midlife. The truth is, I'm probably already midlife, according to all statistics, okay? So you begin to look and think, well, nobody starts out and think, I just want to live a non-important, terrible existence. These guys had a vision. In a story, it's a house, but Jesus intends for it to be more than a house. It's to make a difference. It's to, to live a life that matters. It's to, to be in good relationships with people. It's to have relationships that last and are meaningful. It's to leave an impact on the next generation. It's to raise kids that are ready for a world that is hostile towards the faith. It is that kind of life. They start with that. And here's the second thing I want you to notice. They start with the same materials. 
Both of them heard what Jesus said, right? Some people, he said, are like the man who hears what I says, and some people are like the people that hears what I say. It's the same. And we have to realize that sometimes we read that and we take it apart from what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount and we say, oh, well, he's talking about everything Jesus taught. That's not what he means here. What he means here is, this is what I just said. And the Sermon on the Mount, I, I don't know whether you realize this or not, but the Sermon on the Mount is a tough sermon. I mean, he starts with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those people that have all the toys, that are comfortable in their pews and safe where they are. That make sure they get their way in life and do whatever it takes to climb the ladder. Is that what it says? What does it say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle. Isn't that what our world really values? Gentleness, meekness. Full inherit the earth. Blessed are the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. I mean, he says, blessed are you when people beat you and kill you and spit upon you and say bad things about you. That is when you ought to be the most excited. Then he says, you're to be our salt and light. You're the one that's going to flavor the world. You're the one that's going to be shining in a dark world that needs desperately to hear from you. Oh, and you've heard it talked about that you shouldn't murder anybody. and I would agree. Murder is not good. But don't even get angry with people. If your anger causes you to cry out at someone else and to say things that you regret, then you have sinned as if you have murdered. Oh, and you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And I agree, that, that's it. But adultery is much more than a physical act, don't you realize? And that means don't let things come into your mind and settle there that shouldn't be there. Don't look at certain things on the Internet. Don't think about certain things. When you're watching certain movies, you may have to turn your attention away because you let things build in your mind to a place where it's unhealthy emotionally. For you and your spouse or your future. I know you're out there getting a lot of divorces and just saying, hey, I, get, I divorce you and it makes it all right. But don't think that that makes it all right. Anybody that divorces what Jesus said and remarries makes that person an adulteress unless there was infidelity in the first place. And don't worry about contracts and getting everything down in paper. Don't swear to anybody. Just let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. And I know you've heard it said that you, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that sounds all good, but that's not what I want you to do anymore. So if somebody comes up to you and just out of nowhere punches you in the face, turn your other cheek to them let them punch you again. Hey, and if they ask you for your coat, even though it's freezing outside today, don't just give them your coat. Give them your shirt, too, and say, take whatever you need. And if they ask you, hey, I need you to do a little something extra for me. I need you to walk a mile in the cold with your shirt off and your coat off. And you say to them, that's great. I'll do whatever you want. In fact, I'll walk two miles instead of one. And those people that you hate, those people that hate you, don't hate them anymore. Love them. Those people that talk bad about you consistently and say things that you know aren't true, do everything you can to love them. I mean, everybody loves people that love them. Love those that hate you. Love your enemies. And when you give, don't do it in a way that everybody sees what you're doing because you shouldn't be doing things for people to see. You ought to do it to please your Father in heaven. When you pray, and praying is important, but don't do it out in public for everybody to see. Go in your own place and 
pray kind of like this, where you give praise and honor and glory to the Lord, and you give thanks for the daily stuff that He gives you, and you ask Him consistently to not let you fall into the temptation that you fall into on a regular basis, and you remember that His is the power and the glory forever and ever. And when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, to deprive yourself in order to draw closer to the Lord, don't do it so everybody knows you're doing it. Don't walk out in the streets and make it look like you're worse than you are. Don't walk around moping saying, oh, it's good, I'm fasting. But on a cheerful face, look at people. Let them know that it is just any other day, because in your heart you're fasting, not for them, but for the Lord. Oh, and money... Here's the problem with money. If you start collecting money, you'll start loving money. And when you start loving money, you can't love money and God. And so, really be careful with how much stuff you have. Oh, and worry? Don't worry about a single thing. Not a thing. When you see somebody else, and you notice sin in their own life, take a moment to examine your own heart and realize that the sin in you is much bigger than the sin you see in them. Those of you who hear these words that I have just spoken and follow them are like the man who built his house on the rock. Those of you who hear them and don't are like the man who built his house on the sand. That's tough stuff, right? You got a problem with any of that stuff? I mean, I'm not saying like, I don't think it's right. I'm talking about, you have a problem falling through on any of that. This is where you say yes, all right? Anybody worried at all in the last week about anything in your life at all? This is where you say, yeah. Anybody had a thought about somebody that made you angry or you had somebody that said something bad about you and it was really tough to love them this week? Yeah. Any of us do anything recently just to let people think we're a little more spiritual than we are? Not for any other reason other than to say, hey, look at me. This is what I do. Jesus isn't talking about just a minor couple of things. He's talking about that entire sermon. And here's what I want you to understand as well, because this is important. Jesus is talking about the most important decision you can make. And we'll find that out in a minute. But he's saying that you can tell it by the way you react. In fact, even though these two guys had the exact same vision and the exact same materials... They chose drastically different paths. Completely different foundations. One man hears the message. And the only difference between the two men is one hears the message and he does it. The other man hears the message and he doesn't. They sound similar, right? Does it and doesn't. But they're drastically different. One man's the one that listens to it. He says, listen, you're right, Jesus. I've heard you. In fact, we'll, you'll read at the end of this, if you go right to the next verse, at the last verse of chapter 7, the people go, nobody has ever taught like this. That was amazing. That was like the best thing I've ever heard. I mean, we've got to get this on and let people see that it's happening. Somebody record it. Somebody write that down. That was amazing stuff. And they're all like, nobody's ever taught like that. But Jesus said, even in, fact that, even in spite of the fact that they all heard it, not everybody would treat it the same. He said, some of you are going to hear it and you're going to put it into practice. But some of you are going to hear it and you're not going to do a thing about it. It's almost like he looked at him and said, some of you are going to walk out the back of the church saying, boy, that's a good sermon. Good job, pastor. Jesus, that was really good. When you said this, man, you had me. 
And you're not going to do a single thing about it. And he says, those people are the people that have built their life on the sand. And then he says, there's some of you that are actually going to do what I've talked about. And you're the people that have built your life on the rock. Now here's another common thing that happens for the two of them. One has built his house on the sand, one has built his house on the rock. And what happens in both of their lives? The storm comes. The rain, the waters come up. Now here's what I want you to to see though. Okay? This is important. Usually when we talk about that, we'll say something about, we're talking about the storms of life. And we've all had storms of life. And this is where a preacher will say, how many of you have ever had a storm in life? you ever had an illness or financial problem or you had difficulty or somebody said something bad about you? Ooh, that's me. We've all had problems. We've all gone through the storms of life. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. That's not to minimize that. That's real stuff. And some lives do crumble when the storms of life come. But... You have to get perspective on the whole sermon. And just a few verses before this, he starts wrapping up the sermon. Jesus had four closings. Now, in seminary, they told us to have one. But he's Jesus, all right? And so at first, he says to him, listen to me. I I got you to, to understand something. That what I'm asking you today is to make a decision. And he said, before you right now stands two gates. One is narrow and one is wide. And the understanding is that the narrow gate leads to life and the wide gate leads to not life. In the church we call that. Ultimately we call it. I'm giving you permission to say the word in church. We call it hell, right? It says there are going to be lots of people going down that road. You've got a choice, this road or that road. And you have a choice of going the wide or the narrow. And it's an ultimate kind of thing, all right? Then he says, now beware though, there are going to be some people out there that are going to be teaching different things that are not what I'm teaching. And you've got to make sure you're listening to the right people when you make that choice of the narrow or the wide. He said, and you test that by looking at what they're doing, not what they're saying. So check the fruit of their life. And if the fruit of their life is not what it needs to be, then you don't need to listen to them. You listen to me and you choose the narrow way. He said, because there's going to come a day when you're going to have final judgment. And on that day, some of you are going to come to me and say, Jesus, I am ready to enter into your kingdom. And I'm going to look at you and say, I don't even know who you are. But what do you mean, Jesus? I went to First Baptist Church. Like at least two Sundays a month. Sometimes I even went like five or six in a row. I don't know who you are. What what do you mean? I I taught Sunday school. I I mean, I volunteered for a kid's lock-in once. That's like the most amazing thing you can volunteer for, right? I don't know who you are. Jesus says, I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. There will be some of you that will hear this message today. And you will be like the man who heard my words, did what I said, and built his life on the rock. See, we separate it from that. It's easy to say it's about the storms of life. You know what I think this story is about? Not the storms of life. It's about the end storm. The last one. The big one. And what we have to understand is, not only do these two have different, completely different foundations, but the results they had were completely different. And here's what is scary. Is my understanding of studying that this week and looking at it this week means that there are going to be lots of people with their houses built on sand that are completely confident in who they are before the Lord until the last judgment comes and there will be a mega crash. 
a mega crash. Because Scripture says, according to Jesus, in this parable, this story, thrown alongside so that we can get some deeper truths understood through a simple story, that there will be some of us who will, in confidence, think that everything's okay and our lives have been built on sand and we will be washed away. Let me ask you a question. Does it say in that passage, if the storm comes? Does it say in that passage, if the storm comes? No. What does it say? It doesn't say, yeah. It says, the storms are coming. And the storm is coming eventually to all of our lives. Now, if you take it to mean little storms and those kind of things, that's perfectly fine. The same kind of principle applies. But it's greater significance if it's the storm. Amen? If it's the storm, that's a greater significance. And what does it say? It says... That in one hand, the storm came, and the water rose, and what happened to the house? Nothing. And the other one, it says the storm came, and the waters rose, and what happened to the house? Mega crash, right? Just a little added effect for the end, all right? It's drama. But here's the thing. What's the difference in the two scenarios? It comes to one word. And Jesus is talking about in this passage, following him. And the key word for discipleship is obedience. Discipleship equals obedience. Listen, it doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible, although that is very important because you cannot obey the Lord unless you know the Lord or know about the Lord or know what He would intend for you to do. So that's important. But if you've got all the knowledge in the world, you know what Scripture says knowledge does? Puffs up. Discipleship is obedience. Can I just be honest with you? There are a lot of people in church today this church, churches all around, who have built their life for years on a sandy foundation of something they did 45 years ago that hasn't made a single difference in their life because it wasn't real then. And when the storm comes, a great crash is on its way. Hey, let's do this before I finish. Let's check back in with our amateur constructional architects. See how they react to what I did to them. Oh, the rain stops. Let's check in on our mansions. All right. Uh oh, look, mine's still standing. I think I might out a garden or something. No, my house is destroyed. My TVs, the swimming pool, the slide, the aquarium, and the ice cream. And the TVs and the candy and the Mountain Dew and the trampolines all gone. I'm sorry. I guess there was a hurricane, huh? I didn't think a thunderstorm at my house. Wait, how come your house didn't get destroyed? Well, this rock is pretty sturdy. I guess it's a better foundation. The foundation is like the most important part of playing architects. So, here's the thing. That's kind of a humorous skit, or maybe you didn't think it was, I thought it was funny. (laughs) 
But that's a skit. All right. We're talking about your life. There's some of you here today that have made your choice, even though you think you hadn't made a choice and you've chosen not to follow the Lord. And I'm going to ask you today whether your name's on a church roll or you got a fish on your bumper sticker. I'm not asking whether your grandparents went to church or your mom and dad served in a lot of areas. I'm not asking if you've been a part of a class or an area or any of that. What I'm asking is, have you been obedient to the Lord? Have you done what you know you should do? Because outside of obedience to the Lord, our houses are built on sand. In just a moment, we're going to sing and we're going to have a time. I'll be standing down front and I'd love to have you come and talk with me. Tell me um, things going on in your life or just come and pray. Maybe you're here, you've never made a commitment to the Lord and now's the time. Can I ask you to just be honest with the Lord and not try to sugarcoat it or make excuses, but just ask, are you being obedient to Him? Let's pray.